as we began selling, we started realizing that a lot of the people that we are creating the product for could not afford the product at all. In as much as I wanted to be a business person and say, let's just sell to them, they'll find the money somewhere. I had to be realistic and realize that we have a challenge in South Africa where we have majority of women who are encountering challenges with breast cancer being women who are mostly unemployed and we needed to help them the most. As time went by, we ended up being very donor dependent, um, which was not how we had thought um, our business could be. But then it was also the time when conversations started emerging in South Africa about having a national health insurance, NHI. So, I mean, we sat down as a team and we said that our current business model, in as much as it's creating impact, is not working that well. It would only be successful when we have an NHI in place. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Aid Evolved, a podcast for anyone interested in technology, poverty, and health. We'll be hearing firsthand accounts of the lives, opportunities, and risks taken by people working at the intersection of these sectors to see what we can learn and apply to our own work. Let me start by asking a question that I, for one, have not figured out. It's about innovation in Africa, and where does it come from? One option is to look internationally. Perhaps we're talking about the global experts or the big companies and organizations that build enterprise software. A different option is to look inside of a country, to look at the technology community, and maybe even the youth, the young, scrappy, techie generation that's trying to think of a better way to do work than their parents did. In today's episode, we're going to get a little window into what it's like to create a technology startup in South Africa. Our guest today is Nele Nkhodise. She's an impact entrepreneur based here in South Africa with me. She's founded a series of startups, including iMedTech and 3DIMO. And, you know, among other things, she was named as one of the top five female innovators in Africa, by the World Economic Forum in Rwanda in 2016. She's also one of Forbes Africa magazine's top 30 under 30. Some of the most interesting things for me about Nela's story was hearing about the people and the funding that helped her to get off the ground with her first startup. And it was also pretty telling when we got to talking about the institutions and the market realities that held her back. I hope this conversation can offer a little bit of insight to those of us brainstorming of how we can foster the success of the next generation of African innovators. Here's Nele. Can we start right at the very beginning? Um, you know, where were you? What were you doing when the idea of iMedTech came into your mind? iMedTech, I always have a funny story to say I became an accidental entrepreneur. <laughs> so, so I started iMedTech during my master's studies. I was still doing my master's in mechanical engineering at Central University of Technology in South Africa. And at the time, I was doing the applications of additive manufacturing for fabrication of maxillofacial prosthetics, which is like your ears, your noses for people who have nose features or damaged features due to diseases such as cancer. 
Mm. And at the time I was doing uh, clinical trials at a hospital just in the Free State South Africa at the cancer ward. And what I noticed when I was around that space was that there were quite a number of women who were going up and down. And I was quite curious as to why there were so many women. Hmm. And my supervisor told me that a lot of them were recovering breast cancer survivors. Hmm. And then I went and asked a nurse who was at this place too. And she told me that a lot had undergone mastectomy due to breast cancer. And it was at that moment that I became more interested in breast cancer than I was in my research project that I was doing. But more Mm. of how could what I'm doing with creating uh, facial prosthetics be translated into creating breast prosthetics for women? Yeah, that's an incredible question to answer. Mastectomy has a huge impact on our identity and our connections with our our bodies and who we are as, as women, as mothers and everything else. It's a very intense topic. And I can see why you gravitated so quickly towards it. Yes. Before I knew it, I set out to say, okay, let me just try doing this project. Um, I don't know where I will end, (laughs) uh, but at least my goal would have been, I would have helped a few women. Absolutely. And that, that was back in around September, October, 2015. Right. And it was also, it was also the time when in fact, earlier than that, around August, it was also the time when I I was connected to the SAB Foundation in South Africa. So SAB Foundation in South Africa have what you call the Social Innovation Awards. Oh, interesting. Yeah, where they support founders that are doing socially inclusive projects that help society. Fantastic. Yeah, I was going to say, I think as a Students have a lot of ideas, a lot of vision, um, but then there's the process, you know, that that tricky and arduous process of taking the idea and giving it legs. It sounds like there was a, a fortunate coincidence um, that you that you found out about SAB Foundation at the same time that you were drawn to the cause of these breast cancer patients. Yes. And I, I mean, that was really great because... I was lucky enough to be one of the award recipients uh, of the SAB Foundation. Congratulations. I won the developmental award and I was also in the top five winners um, of that year. And I, I remember that's when the conversation started that I needed to spin off what I'm doing into a business case study because with me, I was just doing it from a research standpoint and saying that I will do a project. I had never quite imagined myself being an entrepreneur. But when <laughs> SAB came through, they said that, okay, we're giving you this money, but on condition that you establish a business. The nicest thing is that they surrounded me with with some great mentorship, uh, people who had started businesses before, Fantastic. people who were doing impact. Were you able are you at liberty to share how much they were able to give you to get you started? They gave me 350,000 rent, right. which helped me get started. And beyond that, beyond the 350,000, they also provided 100,000 rent, uh, which was in business support. 
Gotcha. And what I find interesting about that story is that it, it sounds like this grant opportunity played a significant role in catalyzing your role, your identity as an entrepreneur. I think that's something that's re- very relevant to our, our audience. You know, something about this particular opportunity for funding as well as mentorship, as well as some, as, as some in-kind support was what got you started on this path. Yeah, I mean, I I truly appreciate it. I look back right now and I realize that the grant opportunity was literally the best one that I needed at the time because Mm. had I not had access to funding, maybe I would have tried doing the project on my own, but it was just going to be very strenuous for me to get anything done at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But then having support from SAB, it increased uh, a, a whole lot of opportunities, not only for in the sense of funding, but access to a large network of people who are associated with SAB that were my mentors and they also helped in my growth. Hmm. Is there one uh, mentor that sticks out in your mind who might have given you a particular piece of guiding light? What SAB was doing was that they would usually merge us with mentors. Uh, usually they would want someone who is closer to you. And with me, they had matched me with a lady who had a, a flower company in the in the free state. Quite, huh. quite incredible business. Uh, very different how, business. <laughs> yes, a very different business, <laughs> considering that um, they didn't have a lot of people who were working in the health tech space from a social entrepreneurship standpoint. I look back and she was so instrumental in my life because a lot of the topics that we spoke of, we we didn't come from the same sector, but I, I sort of believe that business is business. She had started this company where most of the people that were working there were mainly women. Um, hmm. which was really great because creating yeah. job opportunity for women is just so amazing in us transforming our society. Absolutely. And beyond uh, beyond that, how she had her flower business, she was doing roses for you, Risna, um, and she was, dist- I mean, one of the largest distributor of flowers and roses throughout Bluefontein area. So it nice. was quite interesting being with someone who has been able to build such a huge brand. Um, mm. in a, and what kind of guidance did she give you? I mean, with me, she she helped me on how to establish a business. Um, she mm. also helped me on um, the things to look out for um, within developing a business, building a team, and, you know, getting a product to market. Because right. Those are the things that are, are quite generic, you know, so you don't necessarily <laughs> yeah. have to get someone from the health tech space. It's just about mm-hmm. having someone who understands and who has had that same experience. Yeah. And a lot of times, even just having a, a smart person with some experience to help you refine and think through your own ideas, you know, to say, oh, oh really? Is that how do you think that's going to go? <laughs> yes. Um, can be can be quite helpful. So you got the grant um, from SAB Foundation. You got some mentorship and some support. Um, what was what was 2016 and 2017 like with this initial bit of funding you had? With 2016, 
I mean, I still had the funding, but then um, the nicest thing is that there are a lot more organizations that came through and, and helped us out. Uh, we got the oh. International Labor Organization that also came through uh, to support oh, us wow. with, a, with a small grant, which was about 80,000, which was about 80,000 rent. And also during that year, 2016, I also got to be part of Innovation Hub through the Houting Accelerator Program. That's where they select exceptional entrepreneurs from South Africa that uh, they would then incubate at the Innovation Hub in Pretoria. Um, so as one of those entrepreneurs, so I also got a grant of 150,000 rent. All those grants we're building up and I was using them and it into the business. That makes sense. And what, what was happening on the business side? Were you focusing on, on the product, on, on client outreach? How was that evolving? It was both of them. Uh, but funny enough, when I started, I started off highly technical. So... <laughs> You know, highly technical, you, you start off with the product and you pay very little attention to client outreach. I learned that the best way is to sort of try leaning on towards organizations that are helping women who have undergone breast mastectomy. So hmm. um, at the time, Interesting. in the hospital that I used to do my clinical trials with, there was a social worker who was working with a lot of women who had undergone uh, mastectomy due to breast cancer. And what mm-hmm. she was doing was that she was receiving a lot of breast prosthetics from donor organizations in Europe and in the US. Um, mm. And she was telling me that, uh, she, I mean, she had had challenges uh, because uh, most of the breast prosthetics were quite delicate, made of uh, gel-like silicone covered in plastic. Mm. So whenever anything sharp can be applied to the breast, the gel will get out would be exposed so i wanted more of a breast prosthetic that is soft that is not delicate um so because Mm. i spoke to her then understood the kind of product i had to do and i also had her as someone that i could distribute the products to to help the women and is that an example of a how a product developed in a, a european or an american market was not meeting the needs of women in africa Yes, um, that that is what we realized because a lot of the products that were there, with them being delicate, it was not quite good for a lot of the women who stay in environments where if they have to take out the breast uh, prosthetic and put it on the table in their bedrooms, um, they are quite exposed to a lot of dangers such as a child could come up with something sharp and they would tear the prosthetic, it could fall and tear up. So we wanted to create something that allows the women to stay with it quite longer. It's not highly delicate and it's something that, um, I mean, it could fall, anything could happen, but it could still be durable. What have you found with regards to, and I'm sure you've you've heard this before, but with regards to manufacturing or partnerships models, like I'm I'm particularly impressed with your work in 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 hardware, like you know in prosthetics, uh, coming from a software background myself. Um, what has been your journey there um, in terms of figuring out like how you're actually going to manufacture this product? 
Manufacturing was quite difficult for us, but then we sort of partnered with a company in the U.S. to do manufacturing for us because, hmm. um, I mean, in as much as hardware is quite difficult um, in South Africa in the sense that when I looked into the space of doing manufacturing in South Africa, I realized how difficult it was going to be doing it uh, because... Mm-hmm. One of the challenges was that I, I needed to import raw materials, um, mainly mm. from the U.S. And um, I remember mm. the first time when I considered that, um, I literally just got the raw materials, brought them to South Africa. Oh, really? And the amount of tax I had to pay, customs tax I had to pay. Oh, no. And the challenge was that there were also some material that, the U.S. government could not export to other countries. So you can only buy the material and access it in the U.S. only. Fascinating. Right. And there's there's a, a couple different complex topics uh, that you're touching on there. One is from a donor or policymaker perspective, I'm sure South Africa wants more innovations like what you're creating here. And yet the nature of these import taxes has made it hard for you to bring the manufacturing to South Africa. So there's a policy gap in that sense that, you know, if there's any policymakers listening to this, we might want to address. Um, And then the other thing that the other piece that you're talking about is the complexity of, you know, as an impact entrepreneur yourself, I'm sure you want to manufacture in South Africa. Um, but as an as an entrepreneur, you also need to pay your bills. You need to get, make ends meet. And if you're paying double the cost just to pay for the import taxes, then your business won't succeed. Uh, and that's a really tough set of trade-offs that I'm sure you're constantly balancing. Yeah, I mean, th- th- that that's uh, actually the challenge that I had because, you know, you always taught in business that you need to lower your your cash burn as much as possible, your cost as much as possible. So uh, you always have to make this decision where you say, as in as much as I want to create jobs in South Africa, but I need to consider all the possible avenues there is uh, for me to lower my cost as much as possible. I mean, mm-hmm. if there was a possibility that I could access material in South Africa, then it would have been easier for me to do production in South Africa. But because uh, for me to do production in South Africa, it has to come with me accessing raw materials from abroad. It becomes mm-hmm. very it becomes very difficult. And that is why we, we sort of got a production partner uh, who already had an established factory in the U.S. to do mm-hmm. the product for us. So it became very easier because my focus was now in uh, product design and also uh, distribution of the product to the client, and I had very little attention on the manufacturing side, which was quite great because as you are starting out, you don't want to get yourself thinking about too many things in the value chain, especially when you have limited people in your team and you have limited resources to get off back. Um, so you just choose specific areas um, in the value chain that you'd like to focus on and where your expertise lie in. That makes a lot of sense. I can hear the the business mentorship coming through uh, in the way that you talk about it. I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you don't have a formal business background, but clearly you talk like a business person since you've spent so many years in this space. 
And and you said that your your clients now you're mostly working with organizations that support women who have had breast cancer. Is that right? Yeah, those are the organization I was working with that supports women with breast cancer. I remember the challenge was that as we began selling, we started realizing that a lot of the people that we are creating the product for could not afford the product at all. Mm. In as much as I wanted to be a business person and say, let's just sell to them, they'll find the money somewhere. I had to be realistic and realize that we have a challenge in South Africa where we have majority of women who are encountering challenges with breast cancer being women who are mostly unemployed Mm. and we needed to help them the most. As time went by, we then started realizing that it did not become as sustainable as we thought because our costs were just going high up Mm. and we're not getting as much returns as we had envisioned we would get. So we ended up Mm. being very donor dependent, um, which was not how we had thought um, our business could be. But then it was also the time when conversations started emerging in South Africa about having a national health insurance, NHI. Right. Yes. So, I mean, we sat down as a team and we said that our current business model, in as much as it's creating impact, is not working that well. It would only be successful when we have an NHI in place because what would happen is that Mm. a lot of these women can be funded by government to access breast prosthetics and we would then claim from NHI. Unless we have Mm. that in place, it's going to be very difficult for us to recover our costs. Fascinating. No investor can literally invest in us at the moment until they see, probably they see us with a client that allows us to recuperate our costs as much as possible. Oh, interesting. So have you become a, a national health insurance advocate in South Africa? I've been a national health insurance advocate because um, (laughs) I have have realized one of the hardest challenges I've realized working in the healthcare space is that and seeing a lot of health tech companies uh, who have a passion on helping people not make it because of the challenges within the healthcare space where we have about 90% of uh, the South African population, 80%, I mean to say, who can barely afford medical insurance and who are dependent on the public health care system, not being able Mm -hmm. to access quality health care products. Yeah, I was going to say, I think there's a, what's happening with your organization is is a fascinating microcosm of the challenge with South African healthcare in general. You know, you found yourself in a place where you realize the demand is there, but the market is broken. And so that you want the the country, we all want the country to to move to a place where these prosthetics, as well as a variety of other essential health services are available and are more widely available to those who who need that the most. So I I just find it fascinating that you, you went from this you know, very specific targeted startup to a much broader perspective 
on the health market and ecosystem within South Africa? Yeah, I mean, it was quite interesting. It was a beautiful journey, journey I could always say. Mm-hmm. When 2018 came, I mean, the challenges were just brewing. We, we are starting to get high demand. And because of the challenges in the healthcare space, we just realized that maybe we need to take a break uh, from this business because a lot of times we had to admit that we are not meeting our milestones, mm. particularly in the business front that we thought mm-hmm. that we would achieve. And we thought that it was time that we we took a step back and paused the business um, until the market is ready. We have mm-hmm. a national health insurance plan in place that would help optimize our business because there was demand, but then I felt that the market was not ready yet right. for us to actually thrive in. Can, can you talk a bit about, you know, as you were pushing through, because it, it took a lot of perseverance, a lot of stubbornness to, to keep on pushing and pushing this idea when you were still fleshing it out, as well as the moment when you decided, okay, we're going to put this on pause. I'm sure that must have been a tough decision for you. I mean, just the toughest decision I ever had to make. Yeah. And looking back, I feel that it should have been a decision I had made quite early. Really? I mean, right now I look at, I read of companies in in Silicon Valley that, you know, they just raised 200 million USD and three months down the line, you, you, you hear <laughs> that they have closed shop. With me, I took a pretty long time uh, because I always felt that somehow things would work out. Somehow, maybe I'm not seeing things the right way. Maybe because I don't have any business background, that is why things are not working out. I always used to blame myself so many times as to why things are not working out. Mm. And little did I realize that it's okay things like this do happen, that Hmm. had I come to terms that things are not working out as early as possible, I would have saved the amount of money we lost between late 2017 and early 2018, because it Hmm. got to a point where um, I had to cash in a lot of my personal investments into saving the business, because I was more focused on I need to help the women. I need to help the clients I was working with and very little on, you know what, this is eating away on my personal life. It's putting too much strain on the team I was working with that (laughs) it's not working at the time. Right. And I have so much respect for your commitment to the cause to be pouring your own personal resources behind it. And I'm sure that's it was a, a tough experience to go through and you learned a lot from it. The, the other thing that I find interesting about this arc that you're talking about is that ability, the opportunity to to stop or to fail and to to try again. I think another difference with the Silicon Valley startups is, you know, organizations pivot all the time and then they just go get another grant or they get another round of funding from somewhere else. They do get a new team, a new product, and, you know, you have multiple opportunities to give it a shot. In your case, 
I wonder if part of the challenge is the risk. How how hard is it to to start again to do something new? Was that part of the the hesitation in your mind about pivoting or about dropping the idea? Yeah, um, I think with me was more of the fear of failure mm. because I I, I always um, questioned myself if I allow myself to fail, how would the ecosystem view me? Mm. I I didn't know that the ecosystem actually celebrates failure. <laughs> I found us that can actually say that we failed and here are the reasons that made us fail um, and they could still come back. And one of the things I learned over time is that founders, who second-time founders, are at a better position than first-time founders hmm. because coming back as a second-time founder, um, having learned the lessons that you have learned about running a business and failure, you become way better in your second venture than you were in your first venture. Absolutely. And I often realize that it's easier for investors to fund second-time founders than they can fund first-time founders because for a first-time founder, you wonder to yourself, what will happen if they fail? You never know that. But for a second-time founder, you know that they have failed before, they have been at rock bottom, but they have still come back to build one more time. So it's, there mm. is sort of some sense of respect that are, that is given to second-time founders than there is mm-hmm. to first-time founders. And I'm just um, so happy that I allowed myself to fail and then come back to, uh, to start as a second-time founder. Now, I'd like to ask you a few questions about entrepreneurship in in general on this continent. One question I have for you is, why aren't there more people like you in South Africa? Why aren't there more technology entrepreneurs or health entrepreneurs out there? What I often see is that we have not built a society where people quite embrace building because building comes with risk. And I haven't seen quite a lot of people embracing that. And we do not have an education system that empowers a lot of people to build, empowers a lot of people to take risk. We find ourselves having a lot of people focused on, I need to get a job. Um, I don't, they don't see the need of being entrepreneurs quite a lot. Um, Hmm. So that's the challenge that we have. And one of the things that we also need to acknowledge is that a lot of African countries or emerging markets at the developing world, um, I could say, is that the generation that is going to be more entrepreneurial or play an integral role in the tech ecosystem uh, is the next generation not our generation, because funny enough, Mm. our generation is the generation that I I often hear people my age saying, I'm the first one in my family to ever go to university. I'm the first one in in my family to ever get a formal corporate job. Such people are not the kind of people that might take the risk of saying, I'm going to leave my job and get into entrepreneurship because 
they don't have anywhere to fall back on should things don't mm. go their way. With me, I was mm-hmm. lucky enough because I come from, I'm not calling it a second generation, uh, where my mom went to university, she got a decent job, um, and that allowed her to say, you can get into this space because you can still stay at home. I can still take care of you. And if there mm. are if there is some cash that you need, I can still support you with the little that I have. God bless family. Yes. Um, you do have the friends, the family and the food. So I had that. And a lot of people don't have that. So I believe that it's only the next generation, our children that would be able to then do do it because they would have us to fall back on. I think that's a really insightful comment. And and in it, there's a thread of hope as well. You know, if we're not seeing as much innovation as we want now, maybe it's a matter of timing. Maybe it's just, you know, for, for our children to take up that mantle. Um, so that's a great message to hear. Do you have anything that you'd want to say to other young entrepreneurs, you know, maybe there's some some student out there who's thinking of starting up their own thing. Is there any advice uh, that you'd give to someone who looks like a younger version of yourself? I would just tell them, just do it. Learn as much as possible along the journey. You know, always be open to learn and learn and relearn. A lot of the things that I have done thus far in my journey has stemmed from, I'm a huge risk taker. They have stemmed from the place of, okay, let me just do it and I'll figure out along the way. And I will learn along the way. Um, (laughs) And I've, I've never been shy to reach out to people should I need support or seek advice from. So people should not be scared to admit they don't know what they're doing. People should not be scared to reach out for help if they do need help. Agreed. I I love that message. I think it's a phenomenal message. And I'll also add, I agree with what you're saying that in in the Western Silicon Valley, there's people are even more encouraged to take risks. And then there's also, as there always is, a gender element to it as well. You know, I think a lot of women are are encouraged not to take risks, to be cautious and to look out for others. And really it's that risk-taking spirit which allows someone to innovate or to start something new. So I think that's a, that's a great message to share with our audience. Now, do you have any requests or insights for the aid community? You know, the kind of person who might be sitting in Washington, D.C. thinking, I'd like to help young people in Africa about how like they actually can help people like you on this continent? What I always say is that the biggest help I could get from people is I I, I now appreciate a lot of communities right now. Hmm. The thing about communities is that I get to belong to people who um, sort of share the same uh, experience or maybe they have been in the same journey as I am, uh, more advanced at a more they're more at an advanced stage than I am, and just getting someone who I can talk to, someone who can guide me in my journey, I do appreciate that. And the other thing is also, I'm also open if there are people that want to sort of support me sitting in Washington, and are open to be a mentor 
to me and be a mentor to some of the people in my team, I'd really appreciate that. Nice. Good to hear. Thank you so much, Nele. I really appreciate you sharing your story and your journey with us, uh, your highs and your lows, your pauses and your your restarts. It's been quite a couple of years for you, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what you do next. For those listening to this podcast who might be interested in finding more about you or connecting with you, what's the best way for them to reach out? They can follow our work. Uh, we have a website. It's 3D-IMO.com. Sounds good. Um, and I mean, they could also uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn and I'm always happy getting to talk to a lot of people, also meeting new people. Uh, it's quite interesting for me. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Nele. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Rowena. Since putting iMedTech on pause, Nele has become a lot faster at testing and iterating her ideas in the marketplace. Her latest venture with 3D IMO is to provide data analytics to strengthen the livestock sector in Southern Africa. I don't know about you, but I can't wait to see how she grows that organization in the years ahead. If you'd like to learn more, you can access our show notes on our website at aidevolved.com. And if you have any comments or feedback about this episode, do reach out to me on Twitter at Rowena Luke. I'll see you next time.